Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. Good to be here, Dan. Chris, good to have you back. A uh, little delay. We had a bit of a storm run through Houston earlier <laughs> in this week, so we had to push back our, our recording a couple days, but um, we're back at it and want to jump right in this morning and, and talk a little bit about CPI. Um, we've seen the month over CPI, uh, month over month CPI um, at 0.3%. Um, these are down from July. July was 0.5 and, and down from June, which was at 0.9. Um, what should we read about this and what should I be thinking about as I look at the CPI numbers? Yeah, sure. And while we've seen some relief on a year over year basis, that really does reflect kind of the base effects play through. When you look at it on a two year stack basis, we've actually seen a, a pickup in CPI. And while you know, we've talked about in the past this reinforcing inflationary cycle that's underway, the rate of increase or the upward trajectory in prices has eased a bit in the developed world. Um, in the emerging markets, it's already rolled over, but there's no question that underlying inflationary pressures are still with us. They may not be getting worse, but we haven't seen a lot of relief yet. Uh, there's reasons to think we will. Weakness in industrial metals prices would indicate that we may get some relief. But right now, we still have inflationary pressures with us, not just in the U.S., but in Europe as well. And, you know, that's going to limit uh, central banks' kind of policy maneuverability until we see inflation kind of come off the boil and, and ease up somewhat. So, and, and as we think about, you know, talking about easing up, let's talk about some seasonal weakness. Uh, we're, we're heading right into the fall here. And, you know, should the seasonal pattern, they, if that holds up, you know, do you think we'll see increased volatility in, in September and October? Yes, I, I do. Um, I think there's, a, uh, there's seasonal reasons why, uh, you know, September and October just uh, consistently demonstrate some downside in the market. Uh, we're clearly coming into this seasonal period with a little bit of weakening in the liquidity environment. Um, and also at a time when we've seen the underlying internals of the market really deteriorate since May, yet the large averages at the surface have gone on to hit new highs. So that certainly sets us up for some uh, downside near term. So I do think the seasonal weakness plays out. And it's going to be this tug of war in the fourth quarter between flattening to declining liquidity conditions, which would normally be bad for the market, with what's likely to be a lot of upside pressure from stock re stock buybacks. Uh, we've seen and should see a record amount of stock buybacks over the coming months. Uh, high yield spreads have been very contained. Uh, credit is incredibly attractive. And so we've seen a lot of issuance and we do expect a combination of that debt issuance with uh, cash flows from operations to drive some fairly robust buyback activity that'll help offs offset some of the seasonal weakness. And, and with respect to those buybacks, um, do you think that we'll see a real ramp up in those and just because there's a lack of, of places to put capital with, with businesses right yeah, now? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, there's a few CapEx cycles and, you know, I, we know there's a lot of issues down supply chains where people have either run out of capacity or capacity was taken off. Uh, early in COVID, not knowing what the economic environment would look like. And while there may be some CapEx that needs to be spent, there's just a lot of free cash flow out there. And without other alternatives, then we're going to see it flow into buybacks as we have in the past. Right, right. Um, let's talk energy, energy prices. So oil prices, those are up, remaining near, near highs. Um, if I look at natural gas, the prices that we haven't seen in, in probably a decade or so, 
Um, it seems to be a, a substantial issue over in the UK and the European Union. It's, it's beginning to seep into electricity prices. Mm -hmm. um, so do you, you know, do you think this is a legitimate concern? Uh, and if yes, do you think it's a short-lived or this is a, something that has a little bit longer duration? Yeah, I, I think it's a real concern. I mean, I, I can't understate this. Uh, we have real issues with energy investment, uh, a combination of factors of having a secular bull market in energy prices that really began peaking in 2011, ultimately cracking in 2014. And that coincided with a period of time where we were meeting our global energy demand in a very unique fashion, right? We, the last offshore uh, CapEx cycle uh, really was, uh, that money was put to work in 2014 with projects that came online in 2018. Uh, we also saw an explosion of onshore production that met the global needs. And at the same time, all of the talk and all of the investment in renewables really stopped any further planning for fossil fuel development. And that's unfortunate because I think we're going to see this play out over the next several years. A lot of the narratives around renewables are going to start to fall away. The reality is renewables cannot be a significant portion of our energy infrastructure as it relates to elect, uh, uh, electricity production. Um, we need a lot of fossil fuels in order to make the transition to renewable energies. Uh, you know, if you try to electrify um, transportation, that requires a tremendous investment in fossil fuels. Uh, and we may see some of those narratives shift as well. But we haven't invested enough. And uh, Europe, which is a lot further down the renewable investment spectrum than the U.S. is, is having real issues with its energy infrastructure and is now looking back to, to going back to some fossil fuels to meet some of these demands. And that's happening at a time when we've underinvested in fossil fuels. So, yeah, I, I think we've set ourselves up for a, a mini energy crisis, depending on weather patterns this winter. And if we don't start ramping up fossil fuels and stop making them the boogeyman of climate change and get serious about how we're really going to meet energy demand globally, we're going to see not just high energy prices, but higher energy prices, and it's going to have some negative impacts. So, you know, from an investment standpoint, you got to be careful chasing uh, some of the stocks that are levered to natural gas. Uh, I'm certainly a believer that higher energy prices are here to be with us for several years. Uh, but there's been a lot of hot money that's flowed in in just the last few weeks into some of these names. And, you know, it's all setting up for the cold winter. A lot of that's going to be priced in. We'll see how the winter plays out. And But it doesn't mean there's not going to be attractive longer-term investment opportunities. You just got to be careful short-term. Right. Um, another topic today I want to touch on is, is supply chain and continued discussion around supply chain delays. Uh, I mean, it's been well over a year at this point, uh, heavily documented. You know, we're hearing announcements from companies that this could be an issue you know, through 2022. Um, as I think about this, do you think there's further underlying factors beyond COVID that's leading to these supply chain disruptions? Yeah, it's kind of similar to energy. There's a lot of, of elements that came together. COVID was certainly, by and large, the biggest factor, um, meaning when, we, when you run very efficient supply chains with just-in-time inventory management, when you have a disruption, it has kind of a ripple effect down that supply chain. Uh, and unfortunately, we were running a very tight supply chains across the globe. 
at the same time that we were starting to move supply chains from, let's say, China or start doing some nearshoring. And when COVID hit, companies behave very rationally. You know, if it was as it relates to containers, they scrapped the older containers um, and scrapped some of the older ships as well and didn't really try to bring new capacity back into the market. So the ability to transport products, even if the products are available to be transported, has been severely impaired. Then there's a lot of press in and around the shortages in semiconductors, and you had a confluence of activities there as well. Early on, some uh, buyers of semiconductors, in fact, canceled their orders because they weren't sure what was going to happen to economic demand. But, you know, we overstimulated. We had about $374 billion loss in personal income. We transferred $1.9 trillion to households. That excess of $1.5 billion went into not just asset prices, but also went into goods consumption. So we actually cut supply, boosted demand dramatically, and a lot of those inventories that would have gone into industrial goods or autos, when those orders were canceled ended up going into IT, and it went into the form of laptops and desktops as people set up the functionality to work from home. And so we didn't lose demand. We actually boosted demand and cut supply dramatically. And then we've had these rolling shutdowns as virus, as the virus and its many variants have spread through different countries, and that's just created a lot of service disruptions. Um, now it gets compounded because companies are operating out of fear. So there's a lot of double ordering going on. So, you know, I do think we're going to work through these supply chain issues. The issues in transportation are, are a bit different. Um, you know, we need to bring capacity online from a container standpoint. Uh, we need to get through some bottlenecks in shipping um, and at some ports. Um, we should catch up in 2022. I think. My guess is when you have companies saying, look, these could be an issue all the way through 2022, they're not factoring in the double ordering and the global growth slowdown that's underway anyway. So I suspect we'll catch up to these these issues at some point in 2022, whether it's early or late, I don't know. Okay. Well, good, Chris. I think that's a good place to put the brakes on for today. So thanks for joining us, and hopefully we'll avoid that next big storm. We'll have you on here shortly. Sounds good, Dan. Great. Thanks. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.